Welcome into another edition of the Alligator Sports Podcast. My name is Michael Hall. I am your host uh, today. We have a great show. Ryan Haley returns to the program. Um, Ryan is a longtime alligator writer, um, longtime alligator editor, and we have a great conversation with him about all things Florida football, recapping this past weekend in Knoxville, Anthony Richardson, looking ahead to the rest of the season, and so much more. Make sure to stay around for that. Let's ride. Taking a look around the Gator Nation, we'll start with the football team. The Florida Gators lost to the Tennessee Volunteers in Knoxville, 38-33. Quarterback Anthony Richardson seemed to get back on track a little bit, though, throwing for 453 yards, two touchdowns, and running for 60 yards and two touchdowns as well. Florida Volleyball um, beat Alabama this past week, but split their weekend series against South Carolina. Meanwhile, men's and women's swimming and diving both dominated at their first meets of the season. The men beat Nova Southeastern and the women beat both Nova Southeastern and Arkansas in a double dual meet. Florida soccer lost to Old Miss 1-0 and Georgia 3-0. Finally, women's tennis had a successful run at the Bedford Cup as both Emma Shelton and Emily De Oliveria both earned singles titles. And now, here is Ryan Haley. Ryan Thank you so much. Why are you laughing already, bro? You clapped. I wasn't expecting the clap. I was clapping to know when to edit. I'm not going to edit this out. This is just going to be in the interview. Okay, Ryan, good. I was hoping. Thanks for joining the podcast. Welcome back. Your return to the alligator. Um, obviously, you spent a lot of time here as managing editor, as sports editor, beat writer on multiple sports. Uh, how you doing? I will say with every position I held at the alligator, nothing made me prouder uh, than being a guest on this podcast. And I believe this is the longest I've gone between guest appearances on here. I feel um, like it is because you're, you're it, a pretty regular guest. I was pr- I'm pretty regular, which is kind of insane because I made Joe's life miserable editing that podcast and Jesse's and Jackson's. So um and probably yeah, well, a, and probably yours because we're already we are we are like four minutes in and it's already like two spots that you're gonna have circled on time codes um uh but yeah no it's it's good to be back it's kind of a little little familiar a little nice and uh love this paper and love this podcast so i'm happy to be here yeah and we love you we are happy you're here um love me oh yeah i mean like the alligator as a whole loves you oh, I'm, okay that I'm, makes, that, that, I'm neutral that makes, that, that makes more sense yeah okay fair so wanted to have you on to talk about Florida Tennessee obviously Florida loses 38 to 33 um but Anthony Richardson maybe back uh I know you have thoughts on this game as a whole so I want to just get your initial impressions your initial reactions from uh from Saturday um Oh boy, where do I start? Um, I feel like I have like four things that are all tied for first and like takeaways from the game. Um, but no, um, I'll start with Anthony because you brought it up. Um, I am not the only one who said this. So I won't pretend it's like a me specific thing. But after the USF game, I was like telling all of my friends who could listen 
just like you and you agreed um like you need to let anthony have a threat as a runner from the pocket to open up passing lanes for him he's not good enough to stand back and dissect between seven men in coverage he needs to have a linebacker or two cheating in and needs to have somebody keeping an eye on him in order to let not only to let Florida's receivers get separation, but to have passing lanes wide enough for him to fit the ball through. Um, and Napier, for everything that he said during the week last week and everything that he said the team's approach was going to be, uh, let Anthony do that. Um, I don't know if it was a smokescreen or if he changed his mind or what, but he let Anthony be mobile. He let Anthony run around and escape the pocket if he had to throw on the run like just make sure he delay Anthony take hits like it didn't look like he was trying to protect him um so whether that whether that interview during the week last week or what Anthony said during media was a smokescreen a little bit or whether it was something that was decided later was not the way they wanted to go with his uh with the team um I don't think it's a coincidence that the two game, like the two games that Anthony's been allowed to be mobile have been against top 12 teams in the country. And he has like a combined QBR of like 88 mm-hmm. and the other two games against Kentucky and USF where he's been forced to stay in the pocket. He has a QBR of like seven. Like I don't think that's an accident. It not at all. It I can't mean, be. That's I, I, said on the, split. I said on the podcast last week with Topher, I was like, I mean, you take away Anthony Richardson's ability to run. It's like taking Superman's ability to fly away. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. that's just such a huge part of his game. And that's who he is right now. He's an athletic mobile quarterback. And until he gets that accuracy down, which like he's still a young guy, he will. He'll improve his accuracy. Um, Napier is going to have to let him be mobile, which like yeah. you were saying, he mm-hmm. did in this game. Which, again, like, I know the quarterback that Richardson always gets comp to, both between his physical abilities and being at Florida as Cam Newton. But the one that always come to mind to me, and we've talked about this extensively, Josh Allen and the mm-hmm. way he was his first two years in the NFL. Um, in terms of Anthony has openly said that he's working on accuracy and he's working on, like, being precise with his passes and he's openly said that he like sometimes needs a little bit of a confidence boost early in games with that um and he needs to kind of get going downhill um and there is nothing that helps a quarterback who is trying to get trying to work on accuracy and trying to work on their confidence than receivers that just get wide open and florida doesn't really have a stefan Diggs, which obviously helped josh allen's career um just a little bit a little bit florida doesn't really have a stefan Diggs, which is part of the issue um but when teams are forced to keep five or six people in the box because they're afraid of just turning their backs on anthony ricky pearsall justin shorter even occasionally xavier henderson can find holes and that felt like more of a shot at xavier henderson than it meant to be <laughs> I, was but, like, I was like what did xavier henderson do to you I don't know. That's that was fair. That's unfair. But um, like those guys can find holes if they're only trying to cut between five or six guys rather than seven. Um, and so I think that was a really huge thing. And I think it was just really encouraging. Anthony made some big boy throws. Yeah, he made like some scramble on the run. He was thrown from his right, from his left. Um, and he finally got assistance from his receivers too. I mean, yeah, he had the first touchdown to Zipper. 
like it was a great throw by Anthony and then Keon just did the rest, yeah. uh, which he desperately needed. You talk about him I starting think, fast and getting comfortable. I mean, the first, the first play of the game for him was a 14 yard completion to shorter. He runs for 11 yards later in the drive. He just gets into the game, which is huge for him. I mean, you saw that against Utah where he immediately was settled in and you see games like Kentucky where it takes him the entire game to not get comfortable. The Justin Shorter agenda feels a little stronger after Saturday. Um, Who in your Justin Shorter agenda? I will never die, Michael. You <laughs> cannot kill me. Um, no, the Shorter thing, obviously very tough on that last drive. Um, we'll, I'm, we'll get to the end of the game, I'm sure. Um, but the other thing I want to talk about, um, as good as Anthony was and as promising as it was to see him take a step as a passer and kind of be the guy that was there against Utah again. Um, Florida secondary and defense made this game unwinnable. Like I, I, I don't Absolutely. think the offense had a fair shot at winning that game. They had one fumble and one failed fourth down and it took an onside kick to make it a one score game or to make them have a chip, like have the ball in a one score game. So like, Literally two drives that don't end in points and, and the missed field goal, which obviously hurt coming back. But like, even if that was made, like Florida had 13 possessions, I believe, maybe 12 possessions. Sounds right. One of the two, but they, they scored on like all but three of their possessions and their margin of error was like all but one. Yeah. No, they didn't have a chance. I mean, I think no. a perfect encapsulation is right before the half, Tennessee goes 99 yards in two and a half minutes and scores a touchdown. Yeah, that was brutal. And then you go into the half, instead of leading 14 to 10, you're down 17 to 14. Tennessee comes out, scores another touchdown. It's 24-14. Yep. And then just like that, you're down by 10, and your defense can't stop a nosebleed. And so you're mm -hmm. just playing from behind the entire game. And the most frustrating part about it um, from the Florida perspective was it didn't feel like Tennessee was, it didn't feel like the, it felt like the Tennessee offense was inevitable, but not because they were getting seven or eight yards every play. Mm -hmm. It felt like they'd be like first and 10, second and nine, third and eight, 40 yard pass, like first and 10, second and seven, 30 yard pass. And you're like, like it's that, that was the most frustrating part is like, all the plays that weren't massive chunk plays were like pretty good. Like the Florida run defense held up. The Florida run defense that got widely panned after the USF game really stepped up. Welcome back, Ventrell Miller. Welcome back, Ventrell Miller. Ventrell Miller with his arm in a sling and playing on one foot makes this defense five times better. No, absolutely. But um, then you talk about the passing game and you'll get into the secondary. I mean, Hedden Hooker averaged – 15.8 like almost 16 yards per completion like it was those big chump plays that and then he was also running the ball he had 13 carries for 112 yards and a touchdown it was pretty incredible that well first of all i think that tennessee offense is the best florida will play all year by a wide margin i think ten, i think i know josh heupel and tennessee everyone's very easy to dismiss the legitimacy of that team uh, based on the past history of that program and the past history of Heupel as a coach. 
that's a legitimately top 10 team. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so that isn't an, like fa- facing that team in their home stadium in a rivalry SEC game, a five point loss is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, but there is a certain pit in your stomach watching a game when Hendon, like, because personally, we were both watching it from a television, not from actually attending mm-hmm. the game. Um, and so from our point of view, Hendon Hooker would just wind up looking at somebody off screen. And there's a certain pit in your stomach that comes from the second that he starts winding up being like, oh, somebody's wide open, aren't they? Every time. Every time. Like, oh, no, we forgot about somebody. And there's an even better pit in your stomach when he's lining up the throw on screen and certain safeties are still visible and Hendon Hooker is throwing 20 yards behind them very clearly. Yeah. Um, that was a really rough game. And I think there was a lot of miscommunication across the entire secondary. Um, so I have a hard time singling out any specific person among the defensive backs, uh, despite a lot of Twitter disagreeing with me. And I can't really necessarily say they're wrong, finding most of the blame where they find it. Um, Are you going to mention a name or we can just go over that? We can just skip that. We don't have to mention a certain name on this, on this podcast. I don't know if we have to, <laughs> um, mostly because – I think that this certain player is getting plenty of bashing already. Um, But across the secondary, I mean, you know, I'll name names. Sure. Why not? Um, It felt like a lot, a a lot of those missed assignments were on Trey Dean's side of the field and it took Florida fans very little time to figure that out. Um, And that for, for someone who is a fourth-year starter to be screwing up that many looks, like it'd be different if it were like Jason Marshall getting burned or if they were starting Kamari Wilson and he was getting burned. That would be entirely different. Mm-hmm. But for a fourth-year starter who's played 60-some-odd games at Florida, for him to be the one who looks confused on the field, that's a blow to your secondary. He's supposed to be the guy that can like figure that out for you. Um, Rashad Torrance, whenever plays did develop, would take really conservative angles as a tackler. He like tight ends. He'd be chasing down tight ends and just make the concerted decision to chase them down twenty yards upfield rather than like fly toward them. Um, there was one long pass where uh, one Tennessee defender was running up and down the far sideline and Torrance looked like he was like guarding the middle of the field rather than like, you know, trying to stop the guy from getting into the end zone. Um, Even though he was the only one down there. Um, I think on that play, I think that on that play, I think Amari made the tackle. Mm -hmm. Amari played well. Amar, Amari's had a great season. He's had a great I, I want to give – I want to pop up credit there. Um, Amari Bernie is someone who has gotten more than his fair share of negligence and a little bit of verbal abuse from Florida football fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it looks like Napier in this defensive system have him doing something different than he was doing. Uh, he was kind of the Swiss Army knife coverage, uh, like occasional pass rush guy under the Todd Grantham system. And it feels like they're letting him play as more of a true linebacker now. Um, and he's playing really well. I have no idea if that's true or not. I haven't rewatched any games. Um, but it from initial, like he's playing really well. From initial, from initial, no, I know he's playing really well. I'm just saying I don't know exactly what they did differently. I know he's doing something differently because yeah. he's in different spots on the field. I just would need to rewatch the games and like follow him around to figure out what they have him doing differently. Right. Um, but it feels like he's patrolling the middle of the field a little more often rather than either dropping into coverage. I know he struggled against those Utah tight ends. Those Utah tight ends are really good. Utah hasn't won a game by less than like 35 after they left Florida. Um, But he's made huge, huge plays when he's really, really needed to this year. Um, And it's just really kind of cool to see a fifth-year senior. I don't want to say make the leap because I do feel like he's doing something different, and it might just be that we've – it might just be that they've been using Amari Bernie wrong. Like we've been assuming that it was a talent thing rather than realizing that maybe success can be situational. Um, but that is like if, if there are some positive spots on the defense to me, uh, Amari Bernie has to be probably number one or number two so far. Um, Jason Marshall getting as much playing time as he's gotten. And really, I feel like the only times I saw Jason Marshall on Saturday, he was like there was just a great throw over him. Like he got beat a couple times, but he looked like he was hanging around better than a lot of Florida secondary. No, I agree. I, I think, um, yeah, Jason Marshall, I, I feel like he had a good game. I don't have his numbers right in front of me. Um, But uh, let me see if I can pull him up. Yeah, according to Pro Football Focus's premium stats, uh, he was the primary – he was the primary target in coverage three times and allowed 53 yards, which isn't terrible as the lockdown CB1, like being the primary target three times means you're doing a pretty good job, I would say. Um, I feel like he was probably the standout in the sec- from a not-great secondary day. Um, really just a not-great defensive day overall. Like you said, Amari Bernie really playing well this season. Good to see him. Um, kind of do you, have, do you have access to PFF grades at all? Yeah, for college. Okay, do they have anything? Do you have anything single game wise for anyone from Tennessee? Yeah, uh, Jason Marshall had a 60.5 defensive grade. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if I can pull up Bernie. Uh, I won't say Trey Dean's grade, but it was not good. No, say it at this point or not. Uh, Amari Bernie had a 60.4 grade, but he had a 94.3 pass rush grade. He was great in pass rush. He had two sacks. Um, I, I will say, from my history with PFF, anything above a 60 in defense solid. is pretty pretty good. They'll, um, uh, they'll, have like their, they'll have like their team of the week on defense, and their like top corner will be like 76. So anything above like anything above like 55 is considered solid in a PFF grade for those who don't know what pro football focuses. They, I just I just don't want this to be graded on like an ABCDF scale. No, because, and it, and it is not. Yeah, no, uh, I just want to establish for like yeah. anybody who may be listening that doesn't know PFF's grading scale. 60 is not like 
nearly failing. 60 is like you played like a starter. 60 is you played solid. 60 is a yellow, so they they color code their grades. So 60 is yellow. I think like 50 to 35 or 40 is like orange. And then below that, it gets to darker shades of red. Um, and then above that, like 70 is like a light green, 75 is a darker green. And then you start getting into more like blue territory. If you're like a 90, like Bernie's pass rush grade was, it's like a dark blue, which is like elite. Um, Trey Dean had a 49 defensive grade and a 41 coverage grade. So he was in the orange and the red area. Um, they had him credited with two missed tackles, uh, five receptions allowed in primary coverage for 134 yards including a 70 yard pass, which I feel like is about right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a bad defensive day. Um, I think that's putting it, putting it lightly. I think a lot of teams are going to have bad defensive days against Tennessee. I agree. It's interesting that you said, you think this is the best offense they'll play when they still have Georgia upcoming. It'd be very interesting to see how they defend Brock Bowers and Darnell okay. Washington. I think Tennessee is the best like offense, like schematically and in terms yeah. of like dividing everything up. Georgia might be the best offense in the sense of throw it in Brock Bowers' general direction <laughs> and see if you can tackle it. So they're two different kinds. Like if Florida puts up more points, it's not going to be because they like, schematically had a great offense. It's going to be because no one on Florida can tackle Brock Bowers' or Darnell Washington. I agree. I, I, unless you're, I was, unless, I was just bringing unless, it up. Unless you're scared of Lad McConkey. Who isn't scared of Lad McConkey? I don't know. Lad McConkey, wide receiver one. Going back towards this game. Jaguars first round pick next year? Uh, I don't know. He if won't we, he I don't know if he'd be there at 32. So. No, probably not. Um, Jaguars, Eagles. 30, 31, Philly. 31, Philly get 32. Philly, Philly gets 32? Super Bowl preview this Sunday. Um, make sure to watch it on CBS yes. at 1 p.m. But going back to this game, looking at the end of this game, Florida was down, what was it, 17, 16? They were down 17 uh, with five minutes remaining. It seemed lost. Um, they, get a, they get a quick touchdown, 10 play, 75-yard, three-minute drive, and then they force a turnover on downs, get another touchdown, get the onside kick, and then can't get the last touchdown. I wanted to ask you about Napier's decision to go for two on the first touchdown when it was 27-38, when the two-point conversion could have made it 29, field goal makes it 28. Um, personally, I thought about it more, and I understand where he was coming from. The analytics say go for it, because if you go for it and miss it, you can still go for it again the next time and it'll make up for it. Um, yeah. The issue is they just didn't get it either time. I would, I want to hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, when it stays, when you are trying to make a comeback and either a one point conversion or a two point conversion still makes it a two score game. I think the entire logic there is just get as many points as you possibly can. Um, because again, Florida might, Florida might not get it, but if Florida converts on a two point conversion, the next time they score, then it, uh, I believe it will be what a two point game. 
It was 27-38. Um, if Florida no, got an eight, no, it would be a three-point game. So, no. So, if Florida has uh, – if Florida knew they needed two touchdowns, uh, if Florida gets a two-point conversion on both of them, a field goal wins. If they get a two-point conversion on one of them, a field goal ties. And if you get a field goal – if you get a two-point conversion on neither of them, yeah. But – Going for, if you want to win in regulation, which has to always be your goal, especially in an like an adverse rival environment. If you want to win in regulation, you need to do something that you need to be aggressive in that situation and try and make both those touchdowns eight point plays, uh, because it gives you a shot to make that field goal be something for the win. Also, between the two of us and all four people listening to this podcast. Um, if if four people are even listening at this point, yeah. Who knows? Uh, if you're still here, hi mom. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Napier trusts my like that much. Which I, I agree. Fair. Yeah. Redshirt freshman missed a kick earlier in the day. I don't know. Did that kick get tipped? I the earlier one. I couldn't tell. It better have because it was like short from like forty five. Yeah. Um. So it better have gotten tipped. Um, but maybe it's just a little bit of a trust thing. You t- trust that the offense is going. I don't know, man. No, I don't know either. I think that I think Napier had a good game plan going in, at least from the offensive side of the ball. Um, I mean, obviously the defense did not hold up its end. Um, personally, I liked to see Napier getting fired up on the sidelines. Yes, it agreed. 15 yard penalty but i would much rather have that than a coach that doesn't care um i assume you feel you feel the same way there absolutely 100 um i would rather i'd rather have a coach that gets fired up and i'd rather have a coach that like cares um personally though i don't know I was just confused because I don't know what he was fired up about on that play. Because mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, that was like reviewing to see if Tennessee got either a first down or broke the plane or something. It was, it was reviewing if they scored a touchdown or not. Yeah, it was, it was reviewing if Tennessee broke the plane. I think he was just being impatient. <laughs> I think he I think he lost. Which, pace. yeah, because there was a replay review every 30 seconds. It was like the longest game I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. But like, I don't know. It was it was just a weird spot to to me for you to for someone to lose their temper because it was a review of whether or not Tennessee scored, and it looked pretty clear that Tennessee scored. They um, that they didn't score. They I know, but on the next to, play, but. yeah. So it didn't truly really matter. But I thought they broke the plane. Um, I did too. But. It was just a very weird spot to me. I think it was probably a little frustration with the replay review, um, but I'd rather have a I'd rather have a coach get I'd rather have a coach that cares that much. And I know all, like every single person in the locker room agrees they'd rather have a coach that's willing to get in a screaming match with a ref about three points. Like no, absolutely, that just means a lot. And so, especially after having a previous administration. Uh, that seemed pretty tuned out to a lot of things, despite some sideline temper tantrums. Um, 
it, it's it's a it's better for the team to know the coach cares that much. Um, and better for everyone to know the coach cares that much. So, yeah, I I found no issue with Napier taking a fifteen yard penalty. No, absolutely, I agree with you. Um, and then wrapping up this game, do you have any final thoughts? And then just a little bit, just a few uh, few wrap up things before we, before we let you go. Really appreciate you you hopping on here. Yeah, of course, I appreciate you having me. Um, some parting thoughts. Um, if there were like stock and like will hendon hooker be in new york for the heisman ceremony i'd buy all of it um also this is probably more of a student section take but like wildly adjacent um alabama's next two games are at arkansas and at tennessee they will be five they will be five and one when they leave nayland i don't know which of the two they're going to lose but they will be five and one when they leave nayland hot takes from ryan haley right here you're welcome um but yeah, no, I, I I guess I kind of said my piece. I, again, I feel like this. I feel like Tennessee is a legitimate top ten team in the country. Um, in my opinion, that's the best team Florida's played so far this season, and so that was a really valiant fight. It was good to see the offense uh, kind of return to form a little bit and be able to move the ball. It was good to see Richardson look confident and progress through his reads and make passes downfield and make passes out of the move on the move and uh I kind of pity Eastern Washington a little bit because I think Florida's gonna try and prove something against them. Um but I agree. Yeah, I feel like I've kind of sp- spoken my piece. Yeah. And then I mean looking forward, they have Eastern Washington Saturday and then Missouri. And then they go LSU at Georgia at AM with a bye week thrown in there as well. Still um, don't believe in LSU that much. I don't either Brian Kelly. But um, Mizzou but might stink rivalry um but eastern washington and mizzou you have a few weeks to get right before a tough stretch of games whether or not we believe in lsu um yeah mizzou might stink mizzou does stink i don't know how you i don't know how you don't beat auburn without tj finley mizzou is the worst team in the sec yes auburn is second i I would i would take vanderbilt over non non bottom two vandy non bottom two vandy Tell your grandkids about four win Vanderbilt. It's gonna happen. What would you do if Vandy wins three games? What would you do if they only win three? If they finish three and nine, what would you do? Um, probably shed like a single tier. They already covered their over under for the season, which was two and a half. Yeah, but the whole so, but the whole four the whole four win Vandy bit. Yeah, I would probably have to put out a Tebow esque apology video. Um, but. Yeah, that's my plan. I'll put out a Tebow-esque apology video if Mandy only wins three games. I think that's fair. Okay, I appreciate it. No, no, no podcast in the country will fight harder. <laughs> no podcast in the country will fight harder for Vanderbilt than this University of Florida senior. Um, but looking ahead, I think that if Anthony Richardson continues to play the way he did on Saturday, I don't think this team beats Georgia or anything like that, but I think they could beat AM on the road. Um, I I don't I again not a huge believer in Texas AM either, which either. sucks because it goes against my Arkansas take now that they beat in Arkansas. But um yeah, no, not a no, I, I don't think AM is an unreasonable game. Um South Carolina, 
Um, I'm still not a believer in FSU either. No, they are four and us. They are four and us. You have to respect them, but they have their first actual challenge of the year in Wake Forest. No disrespect to LSU. We just simply don't believe in LSU on this podcast. Um, Wake. But they have Wake. Wake the nation, Michael. Sam Hartman. They have Wake at NC State against Clemson the next three weeks. So that will be very telling for the Seminoles. Um, This Florida team could still easily win eight or nine games. I don't think that's easy. Easy. I don't don't think nine and three is out of the equation at all. No. So, yeah, I I don't feel like this is a lost season. I feel like this is just a really front-loaded schedule. I agree. And I think people just have to remember that this is still a rebuild. I think people, like I've been saying for weeks now, people got very excited after the Utah game, and understandably so. Um, But this is still a rebuild. This is not a super talented roster that Napier inherited. There's a reason Mullen was fired. Um, And just be patient. But, yeah, I think nine wins very much in the question. Did you know that Saturday was Anthony Richardson's fifth career start? Yes, I did. Wild, right? People forget that. People forget that he has barely started. And his only start last year was against Georgia, against possibly the greatest college defense we've ever seen. Um, But yeah, those are all the questions I had. Uh, Ryan, just take a a minute here. Tell the people what what you got going on and where uh, where they can find you. Yeah, so I'm working with – Obviously, all the alligator socials still, I'm no longer with the paper, but still any and all reporters who are involved with that paper deserve time and attention. Um, Atria Magazine, if you have any spare attention for another publication in Gainesville, uh, writes narrative uh, narrative nonfiction stories highlighting people in uh, Florida, uh, tries to focus more on the people within the stories rather than the news within them. Um, a lot of lot a lot of incredible student journalists working on that paper, on that publication. I'm doing a lot of work with them this semester. Um, and then, if you want, uh, if you want, I guess miscellaneous, mild takes and like unintelligible comments, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan underscore D Haley. Thanks again to Ryan for hopping on the podcast, talking some some Florida football with us. Um, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Ryan underscore D Haley. He's a he's a great follow, believe it or not. All right, coming up this week in Gator Athletics, the biggest piece of news: um, Florida football has moved its game against Eastern Washington from Saturday at noon to Sunday at noon. Um, all tickets will be honored. And yeah, Florida plays Eastern Washington at noon on Sunday, not Saturday, Sunday, NFL Sunday. The Jaguars play the Eagles at 1 Eastern. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's it's a conundrum, people. I'm I'm worried. My my brain is in a pickle. Anyway, Florida soccer plays against South Carolina Thursday at 7 p.m. While men's and women's tennis both start their ITA All-American pre-qualifying event, the women will travel up to Cary, North Carolina, while the men will play in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, finally, men's and women's golf each have a tournament next week. The women's team plays in the Windy City Classic in Chicago, while the men will travel to Texas, uh, Fort Worth more specifically, to play in the Ben Hogan Collegiate Invitational. Um, yeah. 
but that's uh that's the show thanks again to ryan for coming on thank you to whoever listened this far if you actually listened this far thank you so much i don't know why you were doing that but i really appreciate it um follow me on twitter at michael underscore hall 33 uh follow the alligator follow alligator sports read the alligator support student journalism support local journalism and we'll see you next week the opinions on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the alligator